Welcome to the Everyday Ultra Podcast, a show designed to help you level up your training, crush your races, and ultimately become a better endurance athlete every single day. Whether you're an endurance athlete as a hobby or someone who wants to be the best in the sport, this is the show for you. I'm your host, Joe Corsione, and thank you so much for listening. Now, let's get into it. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Everyday Ultra Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Corsione, and super, super pumped for this episode with Jason Hardrath. We're talking all things FKTs, and when it comes to FKTs, this guy really is one of the masters at it, getting over 100 FKTs in his career, spanning from everything from Mount Rainier to Grand Canyon Rim to Rim to Rim Alt to the Normans 13 to just so many other amazing accomplishments. So, man, I'm excited for you to dive into this episode. But before we dive into the episode, because we are heading into 2023 and about to start a new year, that means a lot of us are setting goals, setting plans for next year, getting our race schedule all in order, and I think one of the biggest ways to really, really tackle your goals when it comes to ultra marathoning or racing or training is by having a coach. And so if you're looking for recommendations for a coach, um, I'll give the recommendation that uh, I've been using in my own training for the past year now, and it's been a game changer. And uh, I've been working with Zach Bitter, and let me tell you, he is the best coach I've ever worked with for sure. Um, and not only that, he's one of the greatest runners of all times because he has held world records for fastest 100 mile time and most miles completed in 12 hours. And he has won and podiumed at many legendary races such as the Javelina 100 and most recently last week at the Brazos Bend 100 miler in Texas. So when it comes to suggestions for a coach, I always recommend Zach as he is one of the best of the best. Um, my suggestion would be to check out his pre-made training plans or his personalized training plan plans, which comes with personalized coaching for your own goals. So the pre-made plans are super cool because it lets you pick a certain plan at a distance that you're looking to race at. Uh, also, the time frame you're looking to train for those races and your experience level. So, for example, if you're going for a hundred miler and you're more in the beginners of the ultra world, you can search for you know beginning a hundred mile training plan for 12 weeks, and he'll set you up with all the workouts, the runs that you need to do, um, recommended days for strength exercises, the whole nine yards from there, um, which is super cool and super affordable. And from one of the best minds as well. And if you'd like personalized coaching um, or a plan that is more personalized towards your needs, Zach does those packages as well, where he offers personalized coaching. Um, he offers um, uh, consultation calls and email support so you can get a little bit more hands-on training for there. So whether you want the training plan or whether you want the personalized coaching option, Zach has that. And man, he is the way to go. Um, I could not recommend him even more. That's why I'm talking about him on this podcast. So if you really want to check out Zach's coaching, feel free to head to zachbitter.com slash coaching, or if you want to go into training plans, go to zachbitter.com slash training hyphen plans, or you can go to the link in the show notes to check it all out. Highly recommend Zach's coaching for your next ultra, and as you go, crush your 2023 goals. All right, everybody, that's enough about that. Let's dive into this episode with Jason Hardrath, and thanks so much for listening.
What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Everyday Ultra Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Corsione, and I am super, super excited for this episode today. It's been one that's been a long time coming because uh, our guest today and I have kind of been going back and forth on Instagram, hyping each other up on our journeys. And I've been following this guy for a while now um, because he is just absolutely impressive, like by every means of the word. And just to give you just a, a glimpse of just the amazing things that, that this guy's done. And I'm not going to spoil everything because I definitely want to give him the space to talk about it, but he's broken over a hundred FKTs in his career, hundred fastest known times in his career, 116 to be exact. Some including Mount Rainier, Grand Canyon's R to R to R alt, California's 14ers, the Joshua Tree Traverse, and so much more. He's also completed Washington's 100 tallest peaks in 50 days and 23 hours, which is absolutely insane. And he's just all around a guy who's out there inspiring and has gone through a lot of adversity and conquered it himself. And you can also check out an amazing film that he had just released called Journey to 100, which I will put the link to that in the show notes. And I'm sure we'll talk about it on this podcast, but definitely a must watch if you want to get inspired. But if you also want to get inspired, just listen to this conversation because it's going to be a good one. I'd like to introduce Jason Harbath to the Everyday Ultra Podcast. Jason, thanks so much for coming on, my man. Joe, that was an incredible intro. You had me smiling the entire time. I'm uh, honored and humbled. Holy cow. I, oh. I love that. <laughs> oh, dude, I'm I'm honored and humbled as well. And, you know, I mean, like I said, I think that I don't even think that intro does justice to like the things that you have done and like your career and everything. And there's so much that I could have added there to you know, really reflect who you are. But I, I really want to give you the space to do it because, you know, as I was doing research on, you know, your content, both in writing and video and other podcasts you've been on, man, you tell your story so, so good. And um, it, it's just so inspiring. I even got the chills just thinking about it. So I'd love to dive right into that, right? Like, tell us a little bit more about the Jason story and specifically, you know, why what got you so hooked on an FKT, right? Because many times we see people with FKTs, they maybe get one, two, maybe three, maybe four or five. You got over a hundred. Like that is like, that is like amazing. So tell us a little bit about your story and what drove you to becoming so obsessed with getting all these FKTs. Oh man. Um, just how far back do you want me to go? I mean, that, that, the, the roots of that story go back to the very beginning, I guess. Um, I'd love to hear it. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, apologies to anybody that, that's heard this before, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, for me, I was the ADHD kid. I couldn't sit still, um, couldn't couldn't shut up. <laughs> and so movement for me was essential. And, and that's kind of, in a way you could think of ADHD. It's not, it's not like a lack of attention. It's not just like, you know, a lot of times we frame it negatively because it affects school performance negatively where you're supposed to sit down and be quiet and focus on a single task um, that someone else tells you to do. But oftentimes ADHD, you're very in touch with the need to move your body. Instead of it being a mild impulse, it's a massive impulse. Um, and then also you're able to hyper-focus on things that are the animating stories of your your reality if you will how you interpret the world around you the things that are important the things that are are creative or consuming like they they absorb you so it's like you could almost think of it like imagine if you had the capacity to focus endless endlessly on something and there was like no burnout but you don't get to choose when that turns on and turns off it's just like suddenly like oh shoot i was supposed to be at a meeting an hour ago 
Um, <laughs> that that's happened even in my adult life so often. So obviously a kid like that, like movement was essential and, and having, having things that were meaningful to do were essential. And it was impossible for me to get caught up. I think, you know, this is the superpower of it as well, right? Is a lot of people wake up in their thirties and go, oh man, I've been living other people's lives. I've been living other people's expectations for me for the for the last 30 years. Like I haven't gone after a single thing that's actually my own voice speaking to me, my own inner wisdom, my own creativity, my own desires, my own hopes, my own dreams. Like they wake up and have this realization that they've been chasing everything that anyone else says to chase and nothing of their own. Well, for the ADHD mindset, that's not as easy to do because you can't help but only focus on the things that have an incredible amount of meaning. And mm. now it's not like it's perfect, right? They any ADHD kid can get distracted with any number of things, but if you can orient that towards something good, it becomes a superpower in my opinion. So anyways, uh I got really lucky I discovered uh skating as a kid and became a skater and that's you know I think Jordan Peterson who's a lot smarter than me he talks about it in his book, uh, 12 rules, uh, uh, something like antidote for chaos. There it is. Uh, 12 rules, uh, for chaos. Uh, and, uh, he says in one of his rules, he talks about don't interrupt children while skateboarding. And the premise of it is when we're doing dangerous things carefully, that's where the maximum learning happens. Hmm. And I think I totally believe that. And I, I teach skateboarding in my classroom, in my, in my gym. Um, I, I do a unit and then I bring them out off and on to let kids skate um, because I believe in it. Like the, the dedication you have to have to take fall after fall after fall and have the skateboard hit you in the shins. It's uncomfortable. It's painful. And you have to fail a thousand times before you land a kickflip, before you land an ollie. Like you, you learn, and that's the essence of life, right? Is being willing to take your falls, take your spills to earn that next step forward. And, and that's the fundamental skill that's getting driven home. So I, I took up skating at a young age and that was my first love. And then sadly, I got so into it that I broke my wrist while downhill skating in the middle of the night once um, you can, you know, non-risk-taking behaviors weren't my uh weren't my strong suit i i definitely was a risk taker um and so the parents had been kind of sick of me sneaking out of the house to go skate all the time anyways so the, they were like sweet you're done skating and in that time i discovered running and uh for some reason just became consumed with the idea of being the one person in the school because no one in the in the middle school was running faster than six minutes per mile um and you know this is just in pe and i'm like okay i want to be the one that does that like i want to break six minutes i want to be i want to be the that guy um so i just became consumed with and you know the skating because i i i wasn't a skater that you know a lot of people think about skaters it's like oh yeah they just go like smoke weed i was like no keep that away from me i want to land the next trick like i was driven i was driven out there Um, and so I was just like skating all day long. And I think that built the fitness that acted as kind of the, the cornerstone for me to be able to make the decision. Like, okay, I'm going to train hard and run now. It's like, I had some base fitness because I would just skate all day long, all day long till I couldn't even walk straight at the end of the day, like just exhausted out of my mind. Um, 
And so came in with that base fitness, aimed at, re-aimed it at running and managed to run a 557, the final PE mile of the year. And I can still remember like hearing that all, all that mattered was that five at the front, right? Like the whole rest of it didn't matter. Um, and just flopping into the grass and, you know, like running a good, like your, your first ever good mile, like a true hard all out, like run the bank accounts empty, light yourself on fire from the inside, like mile effort. That's, that's really what the mile is like. It's just lighting yourself on fire. Um, and that, uh, that, you know, the first time ever having that, like, uh, everything just hurts so bad. Um, uh, my head is pounding and spinning and muscles are burning and I'm just like laying there in the grass and I'm just in pain, but also so pleased with what I'd done. Mm. Um, and that just like locked in this goal setting mindset. And so one thing led to another, uh, you know, it's like, okay, I want to make it on varsity in high school. Okay. I want to make it to state. Okay. I want to try to get on. And I had a reality check in high school. Cause I was like, okay, I just set a goal and then I work hard and I can achieve anything. It's like, oh, I want to break the school record. You could have given me an extra five years of high school and I would never have gotten anywhere near that high school record. We had a solid high school record in the 1500, um, right at four flat. Um, and I never got anywhere close to it. Um, and so kind of that first knock of like, okay, there's a reality that exists too. And there, there are limits. Um, and it taught me how to pivot effectively, I think, to mm. not just give up and call it quits just because you're not going to be the best. Um, which I think is an easy pitfall when you're young to stop mm. putting time and effort into things just because like, oh, well, I'm not going to be the best. So I might as well quit. Yeah. Um, and so I set the goal then to make it onto a small college team. Cause it's like, all right, be realistic. Like I'm not going to go run D one. Um, and actually I'm pretty proud of myself. I, during a time when not everybody had a, a camera in their pocket at all times, I managed to get some video of some of my races done. My dad helped out luckily, um, and put together this nice pitch, this nice pitch video of me winning a few races and kind of ordered the schools that I wanted to go to from like least interested to most interested, but I started with the school I was least interested in. So if there's any young athletes listening to this who are yet to negotiate their college deal, here you go. Yeah. Um, and so I went to the school I was least in interested in first and gave them the whole pitch and, you know, what are you willing to offer me? Da, 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 da. And, you know, they made an offer like, oh, we'll give you this much to come run on our team. And then I took that and went up to the next school. Well, mm -hmm. they're going to give me at least this much. How much would you uh, you know, convince me, you know, convince me to go here. Like what would it, and then finally took that number to the school I actually wanted to attend and just was like, okay, like, you know, I have to honor the time I've put in as an athlete. Like they're giving me this much. Would you at least match it? And they're like, yeah, okay, we'll match it. And, Damn. you know, got the, got the number I wanted from the school I wanted. Um, and got to, you know, at that time in my head, it was getting paid to run. Right. Like, yeah, I did it. <laughs> um, and it was only a partial scholarship, but still got to, got to run on a team through college. And then I had to pay the price for my good negotiation skills. And I was literally fighting tooth and nail for four years to hang on to my varsity spot and my scholarship. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I, I can remember a time when the coach was doing heart rate after uh, like 90 second hill repeats 
and our heart rate was supposed to get down to a recovery zone before starting the next repeat. And he's like rattling off names. He's like search and heart rate is you know, 134. Snell, 129. Beeson, 134. Hardrath, 178 coach. Don't worry about it. Let's just go. Huh. <laughs> so I'm just like bankrupting myself to run with these guys. Yeah. Um, and that was the fiery crucible that I think built the body that was going to be capable of handling the abuse I, I dole out on it now, mm. you know? And so I think it was an important era to, to exist through, to, to pay the price for my good negotiation skills. Um, so anyways, ran through college, made the transition up to running the marathon and then, uh, randomly biked across the United States when I graduated college, the idea had hit me in the head. The first time I got on a road bike it was like I hit 20 miles an hour on my first ever road bike. And it was like a brick fell out of the sky and hit me in the brain. It was like, you should bike across the country. <laughs> and I just couldn't get it out. And so when I graduated college, my greatest fear, actually, as I graduated university, was this idea of waking up 30 years later and wondering what the fuck I did with my life. Mm. And without the curse words, that's what I would have said to you back then. Um, and... Yeah, if you would have asked what my fear was, I would have said, yeah, waking up 30 years from now and wondering what I did with my life. Mm. Uh, that was like a visceral fear. Like when I would answer that question, I would feel it in my chest. Um, and so I was like, I have to do this now. What if I settle into a career and I never get another chance to bike across the country? Like if I'm going to live this dream, I got to go. And so I bike across the country after my my senior year of uh, track ends. Um, and that was a huge formative adventure because- we did it to raise money. A, a college buddy and I ended up doing it together and we did it to raise money for a child center in Guatemala. So we were doing it for a cause and we were like, you know, eating bean burritos and like cutting it slim the whole way to like give as much money to the cause as possible. We ended up raising $7,000. Wow. Um, and we did not know where we, maybe three of the nights were planned ahead of time of the whole trip across, like where oh, we gosh. would sleep. And every other night, what we did is we would look up churches in a town we thought were roughly, it was roughly how far we could ride that day and just start calling. Be like, hey, we're doing this for this cause. Here's our little website where donations can go. And like, we're just looking like, can we sleep on the pews? Can we sleep in a Sunday school classroom? Is there someone at your church we could stay with? Uh, every single night of the trip, we had somewhere to stay. Wow. And so you want to talk about a a 50 day experience that redefines your belief in humanity and, and how humans work. Right. Cause fundamentally it's like, okay, if you're doing something big and audacious and you're doing it aligned with good reason and for a cause, people will rally to you. Mm. Like people will, people will, there's something inside them that triggers that they're like, yeah, this is worth going out of my way to make sure this thing happens. Mm -hmm. And so that, I think that set the stage. That was another one of those building blocks, right? That set the stage for me to be ready for FKTs when they came. Um, and then I, after that, I got into triathlon. Um, you know, kind of, okay, I can run and I can bike. So yeah. now let's go drown a bit until I learn how to <laughs> swim. And so obviously the most safest way to transition to triathlon is you sign up for a full Ironman when you can't even swim three lengths of the pool. There you go. Uh, and so, yeah, literally threw myself into the deep end 
and just started asking every swimmer I could that that I could meet at the pool, like, hey, what am I doing wrong? What can I do to get better? Da, 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 da. I was probably so annoying. Um, they were probably like, I'm just trying to get a casual morning swim in. I don't want to answer this guy's questions. <laughs> um, but managed to teach myself to swim and to get fit enough at it to hold my own and finish my first uh, Ironman in St. George in 2012. That was oh, when nice. I was still a full Ironman. And it was the second highest attrition rate of any Ironman ever at that point Um, because crazy winds kicked up about three quarter, no, about a third of the way, really a third of the way into the swim. Uh, Just these insane winds. It was like somebody flipped the switch on a high velocity fan. It was just like, bang. And there were waves that were cresting that were three feet tall. And I'm a weak swimmer. So I just get the crap beat out of me. But I'm like, I'm like seeing people, it looked like seals, you know, like standing on, on an iceberg, but it was like these rocks that were sticking up out of the the lake. People had like aborted and been like, we're done. And they were just standing on these rocks because it's Utah, right? So the rocks are flat on top and they're just like standing, standing room only on the top of these rocks, waiting for the boats to like shuttle them so they can drop out of the race. And I'm just like, no, like the only way I, I quit is if I miss the cutoff, I'm just going to keep swimming. I don't care if I vomit, like, cause I was starting to get like seasick from just getting wrapped all around and missing breaths and swallowing and breathing water. And I'm just like, no. Um, so I come out of this thing, like five minutes off the swim cut off, just a horrible swim. Um, uh, and I like come out of the water, just wobbling left and right. I can't even walk a straight line. I feel like I'm going to vomit. I can't think straight. I'm like hypothermic. And I'm like, just get on the bike, just get on the bike, just get on the bike. Everything will be fine. Once you're on the bike, you love the bike. Um, and so, yeah, muscle it out onto the bike, get started. And that same wind is whistling straight down the Canyon, oh. uh, which St. George, anybody that knows it or doesn't know it. Now you're going to, you climb that this Canyon twice with like, I think it's about 3000 feet of climbing. Maybe it's, maybe that's both times. So maybe it's 1500 feet of climbing each lap. Um, so still a decent climb on the bike and the wind is just getting funneled down the Canyon you're climbing. So you're just all out of gears, pedaling as hard as you can on a TT bike. Um, it was brutal. Somehow I managed to finish that day. Um, super proud of it, but anyways, I got very into triathlon. All that, that story confirms. I got very into triathlon. Um, chased that for a number of years, managed to qualify for a couple of 70.3 world championships. Nice. Um, got to compete internationally a couple of times. And, uh, then in 2015, rolled my car over and went out the window and broke nine ribs, collapsed a lung, broke my shoulder in two places and completely shredded my LCL and ACL of the right knee into confetti, uh, had to have it surgically put back together. And, uh, yeah, the first doctor I had said, yeah, you're probably going to let that part of your life go. And it was the only version of myself I'd ever known. Um, and so had to face some dark moments with that, but you know, I think, I think we have a spirit of defiance for a reason. And I think why we have a spirit of defiance inside of us is that sometimes in life, the data And the numbers are going to come back and say, yeah, you're not going to pull through this. And that's the moment that we have the spirit of defiance instead of just going, yeah, okay, it's done for me. Phone it in, phone it into the gravestone. Um, We go, no, fuck that. I'm going to show you what I'm made of. 
And this was one of those moments where it was like, no, he doesn't know how hard I'm willing to work for the things I want. He doesn't know how much I'm willing to lean into discomfort and into pain. And even when I'm hurting, I'm willing to make it hurt worse if I know it's going to move me toward my goal. Mm. Um, and I think there's so much power in that mindset. And it's something we train ourselves with as athletes, right? Like, oh, I'm going to go out and do intervals. And each interval, I'm going to feel like I'm lighting myself on fire, but I'm going to take a, just enough recovery that I feel I can do it again on pace. And I'm going to do that 16 times. And then I'm going to go home and I'm going to do it, do it again next week. Right. And instead of 16 times, I'm going to do it 18 times. Right. You know, it's like, that's what we're used to. We're used to, to creating more pain and discomfort now for benefit later. And so in a way we're fortifying ourselves to be able to handle the setbacks of life. If we, if we let it permeate deeper than just like, this is about running. It's like, well, no, this is about life. This is about being human. Um, and that's a lesson I think that's embedded within the training we do as endurance athletes. We endure, we are training ourselves to endure more than just running. Um, at least if we're doing it right. So you know, brought that same mindset to the recovery process, uh, the rehabilitation process. Um, also a huge thing for those facing setbacks is I, I let go. I, the, the way I refer to it is my former life. Everything before that car accident is my former life. Hmm. That guy lived a good life. He crushed it. He was a badass, killer triathlete, like way to go. He's dead time to start over right it's it's remarrying yourself that you don't it's it's an acknowledgement that you don't ever own anything right in the snap of the fingers anything you think you are as an identity if it's a behavior if it's an action it's gone like it can be gone mm. so you better identify with something that you can actually control and all we ever have is our process like what is our practice? What is our process? What is what is our next step forward? How do we how do we create momentum in our lives? And when we're young, we celebrate that, right? Like give a give a kid a basketball, they'll miss a thousand times and be no less excited to shoot a basketball again. And that's how they get so much practice in that they actually get good at some sports. Um, by the time they have this sort of self judgment that we have, where we'll try it five times and go, I suck at this. I'm not meant to do it, hmm. um, and we'll give up. Because we're we're scared of dealing with that feeling of sucking. One of my favorite quotes is be brave enough to suck at something new. Mm. Um, and it's like, that's what you have to lean into. You have to be willing to, to be brave to suck at it. And also the releasing of my former life, the reason that's important is we have to reorient ourselves to celebrating the little things, right? The kid that misses the thousand shots celebrates like crazy if they hit that half court shot. Even if they just hit it once, right? They just celebrate. Like you can probably, all of us can remember times with our with our friends where we finally hit that long shot and we're just like, ah, and it was just the coolest moment ever um, or the backwards shot or whatever. You know, it's like celebrating those small wins. Like we have to reorient ourselves to that. And that's why releasing my, you know, I call, I also refer to it as not living in my own shadow, mm. Right. It's really easy to sort of think like, oh, yeah, I used to be able to do this and now I can't. And then each time we think that it cuts out our motivation, it chops our motivation. Right. Instead, we need to be in this mindset of, ooh, like this is the this is the furthest I've I've run or this is, you know, for me, it was even smaller than that it was like this is as much as I've bent my knee. Mm. 
Like this is the furthest that like, and being able to notice and celebrate that and be genuinely stoked. Like, okay, cool. All right. This is as little pain as I felt while putting weight on my knee. Oh, this is the furthest I've walked in a day on my knee. Ooh, it swelled a little less today, right? Like every little detail all the way to where it's like, Ooh, that's the first mile I hobbled, um, at like a fast walk. All right. Now I'm, now I'm doing two miles. All right. Now my knee bends to 90 degrees. Um, like all these little things all along the way and being able to celebrate that and be stoked for the things we used to take for granted. So if you're, if you face a major physical setback, like to some degree, you're going to have to release where you were and celebrate just that genuine act of progress and just be able to be immersed in that process. So I'm following this process with the rehab and I take up hiking because it's like, okay, running is going to be one of the last things to come back Mm -hmm. because you have to have good biomechanical range of motion in your knee to to reach an efficient running stride. Um, also there's quite a bit of scar tissue in my lungs. Like that's got to heal more before I can really put much cardio stress. Um, so it's like, all right, I can hike like easy aerobic cardio. Um, when you're hiking up and down steep Hills, you kind of have to keep your knees bent a little bit anyways. So it's like, all right, I can't run, but I can hike and it'll put a good training load on my body, um, to keep me fit and strong. So hills led to mountains, mountains led to bigger mountains. Pretty soon I'm starting to get up to mountains that have technical summit blocks. It's like, all right, I guess I'm going to take up rock climbing. So join the local climbing gym, start accumulating all those different skills and strengths. And and this is another one of those situations where I had to embrace the be brave enough to suck at something new. Cause I went from being a, you know, amateur world competitive triathlete to literally 11 year olds climbing harder than me at the gym. Um, Like I was the worst person there. And I just had to be able to sit with the fact that everything everyone else thought was easy was still impossible for me. Mm. And just to be able to keep showing up to that and finding, finding that, that way forward and that ability to practice without self-judgment and that celebrating and like just being happy to be doing something. Um, like releasing that self-judgment. And so learned the rock skills, learned rope skills, and really fell in love with it and started to go out and apply it in the mountains. And so I'm like falling in love with this experience in the mountains of like, okay, I can, you know, walk in and climb some rock and get to the top of a thing and enjoy the view. And fast forward, I'm I've accumulated these skills to the point I've become a guide and the running comes back. Like, okay, cool. I just went, you know, back in that mindset of celebrating, like, hey, I just went for a 10 mile run without my knee turning into a grapefruit. Sure, I'm not fast, but it didn't turn into a grapefruit. Like I can trust this body out in outdoor spaces again, like Mm -hmm. way out. Like I can trust myself to run 10 miles back in if I need to. Like, cool. This is, and that was the agreement from the beginning, right? I talked about that low moment when the doctor's like, yeah, you're probably going to let that version of yourself go. It wasn't all defiance. There was there was definitely a spirit of defiance there, but there was also this: how do I make a reasonable goal to aim myself forward? Mm. And and the agreement I made with myself is that I wouldn't relent until I got back to some version of what I love, mm. some version of what I love. Mm. And I know I like to go big. I like to go hard. I like to push myself and be creative. And I. 
if I'm honest, I like to do things that other people think are crazy. I like it when I can go out and do a thing and people's honest, honest to God response, almost without even really thinking it just like pops out of their guts is you're crazy. <laughs> um, there's something about me that likes that. I've liked it since I was a kid. I used to go on short shorts runs on like negative temperature days just to get the reactions from people where they're like, oh my God, I saw you running in shorts and it was you know, three below. You're crazy. Boom. Nailed it. <laughs> um, so yeah, oriented, oriented myself to those things. And then, you know, all of this starts to coalesce and I start to go, okay, well then I'm just going to go out on the weekends and I'm going to cruise, you know, obviously I can't run fast, but I'll go jog the 20 miles and see if I can tag all three of these semi-technical peaks on the, on the same day or on the weekend. Like, this will be cool. And it was at that point I discovered FKTs. Mm. So I'm finally getting to answering your question. Uh, what, you know, it only took me, uh, 30 minutes. Um, so I discover FKTs and it's like, holy shit, this is exactly what I'm already doing. Mm. I'm, I'm out here chasing, connecting peaks with like speed and efficiency um, and I was already kind of leaning into my skills to like find efficient link ups, like, oh, I'll climb over this peak by taking a more technical aspect on this side and then dropping down the standard route to make it a, an efficient passage over instead of like wrapping around, climbing it and then descending it, you know, stuff like that. Um, and it's like, this is what I'm doing. Like, I'm already I'm already living this. It's already what I love. It's the kind of thing I, that animates me. So very early on. I had the idea to go for a hundred and I didn't really voice it. Cause I mean, how, how arrogant and ridiculous would it be for a guy with like three FKTs to be like, I'm going to do a hundred of these. Um, so I'm like, all right, that's for me right now. <laughs> Maybe at some point in the future, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about it. Um, but I just set myself to like finding other people's routes and uh, seeing local routes around me that maybe other people had done as multi-days um, other people had done, you know, individual portions of it, but never the whole thing. Um, and started adding some of my own routes as well. And then this just kept growing and growing until finally it was like, okay, I can pretty regularly handle an eight hour drive. And then somewhere between a, you know, eight hour and 24 hour FKT. And then an eight hour drive back to be back at work on Monday. Oh and my so gosh. my weekends, basically I drew an eight hour circle, an eight hour driving circle around where I live during the school year and just started weekend warrioring that. And then obviously as a teacher, I get spring break, I get summer vacation, I get Thanksgiving break and Christmas break. So those were when I would do my big excursions where it was going to take multiple days or I was going to try to bang out three or four of them. Um, and yeah, so basically just started going all over the place here in the Pacific Northwest and really this side of the Rockies on the West coast and just finding different FKTs, especially ones that mixed rock climbing and running or glacier travel and running um, very much drawn to that technical aspect. Cause it's like, I know I can't run that fast anymore. And I was never that fast to begin with. I was like a two fifty marathoner. Um, so it's like not elite at all. Uh, and I'm even slower post-accident than that. So it's like, all right, I need it to be technical. Cause that's, that's my, that's my jam. That's my cup of tea. That's what I'm competitive at. Um, cause very quickly as I got into this, I noticed how much quicker and more fluidly I moved through those types of terrain. You, know, you can take a person that's like dropping me on the run and suddenly they get onto stuff that I still consider runnable and they've slowed down and put their hands on the ground. 
And I'm yeah. like, why are your hands on the ground? <laughs> um, so very early on, I'm like, okay, my head's a little different in these spaces. And, you know, I had to cultivate it more to, to get to, you know, where I'm at now, obviously cultivate how to manage the fear and bring the focus up to match mm. it. Um, and yeah, so one after another knocked out these, these various FKTs. And I guess that brings us up to speed with journey to 100 and, um, us having a conversation now. <laughs> Dude, there are so many valuable nuggets in that answer. And I love that you took that route because like you answered probably like five or six of like the things that I had questions on right in there. And so many like nuggets that I think are going to be like so powerful for people, right? Like a few that I just want to highlight that just really touched me. Like ones that I got chills listening to was the first thing when you mentioned like you went to the crash, right? And I think anyone who experiences this, whether it's, you know, injury, like you mentioned before, or even like you see professional athletes, they go through years of being a professional football player or whatever. And then once they retire, it's like that part of the identity kind of dies. And then all of a sudden they get into this new world and like, they're like, what do I do out here? Like I've, I've spoken with athletes before who've, who've experienced that. And even not even that, like people in their careers, if they get laid off or something like that, right. It's this identity shift, but I love how you took that frame of saying, okay, that person's now dead. Like, here's the new person, the new person. And then coupled with that, I love the thing where you mentioned saying, okay, you got to have like, you know, that, that carriance of like defiance in, you know, pushing back to say, I can't do this anymore, but it doesn't have to be exactly the same. It just needs to be like that part, that essence, that one thing. Right. And I think that's why you see a lot of like athletes be successful in entrepreneurship, right? Because there's a lot of different things, you know, that you can apply in business that, you know, you apply in sports, but maybe physically can't do right. Or things like that. I just love, cause I've never heard anyone vocalize it like that. And it's amazing. And it's so cool to see, you know, something so just catastrophic, like that car crash, which is just crazy by all means. I mean, like my mind is still trying to comprehend like all the things that you went through to come out the other side, not only doing what you love, but to do it at such a massive scale to be a hundred FKT, hundred plus FKTs, not just a hundred, hundred plus to do it on there, which is just so inspiring. And I think it just really, really, you know, encapsulates, you know, what human potential can do in the face of major setbacks, man. And so like uh, that story was just amazing. So many amazing takeaways in there and, and nuggets. And I love how it just brought us here to this conversation right now with the hundred FKTs. I'm curious for you, you know, I mean, 116 FKTs is just, I mean, amazing. And I'm sure there's so many different special adventures in there and so many lessons learned and so many adventures traveled. I guess like what is one where like you really learned a lot? Like, is there a one FKT or maybe a few that you say like, wow, I really learned something from here that you think would be super valuable for other people to learn on, uh, you know, in their own endurance journeys? One that immediately comes to mind. Um on the Rainier infinity loop. Mm. Uh, so that's a climb up one side of Rainier, the tallest mountain in Washington, most glaciated peak in the uh, 48 States um, up one side, down the other. And then there's a wonderland trail that goes all the way around. So you go halfway back around to where you started, you go back up and over the mountain again, right? And this is a 14,000 foot peak and there's crevasses to navigate and all this. So it's like a full on adventure. And then you go the other half all the way around. Um, the Wonderland Trail around that mountain by itself is 93 miles. That's so, a brutal trail too. Yeah, no, it's not a not a flat, casual trail run. It's pretty 
<laughs> pretty steep, pretty rocky, pretty full on. There's some smooth, buttery spots, but they're not the longest. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh, twice over the mountain and uh, a full circumnavigation. So, 100 and uh, what is it? 140 ish miles and uh, 44,000 feet of elevation gain. Um, and I went out and soloed it, uh, solo self supported. And oh my uh, gosh, that was it was the furthest distance, right? I'd raced 100 milers um, before. So I'd gone, I'd raced up to 100 miles and I had done three peaks in a day, just actually 10 days prior to it. I did what was known as the cascade trifecta, which is Rainier Adams and hood all climbed in the same day. Um, and that's what actually gave me the nudge. Right. Where I was like, uh, you go from like having something be this far away idea where it's like, Oh, maybe I should do that. That might be a, a, a big goal for me at some point. And I did those three and it went really well on Rainier. And like, as soon as I finished on hood, I'm like, I have to drive back to Rainier. Like I have to do the infinity loop. It's not an option. It's like, it scares me and it's real and it's doable. It has to be my next goal. Um, and so I literally drove from the finish on uh hood straight back to Rainier and started sleeping at Rainier again. Uh, and I was right, full right on. into the infinity loop. Like basically like, like just yeah, right took, after doing that. I think I took like 11 days off still um, like, holy crap. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, it definitely took a little bit off. I think, I think I could have been a handful of hours faster. Cause I, I, I tied up a lot earlier than I should have. Cause my legs were still tired from uh surprise, surprise climbing three, <laughs> three big peaks in the Pacific Northwest, um, 10 days, 11 days earlier. Um, but the big thing on that is, I mean, pushing into those big unknowns and both being able to self-check, like, am I in a physical and a mental space to be moving over this glaciated terrain right now? Um, mm. And also having the confidence from built fitness and built skill and the the knowledge in order of execution. I went over the mountain, did the short, because on the Wonderland, there's kind of a short half and a long half. You do 33 miles on one side to get back to where you started. And on the others, it's 67. Mm. Um, so you could think like a 50K and a 100K. Yeah. Um, so I took the short one first. So I'd have more energy uh, left to go over the mountain again. And I also timed it so that I would climb over the mountain the first time when I was the freshest in the worst conditions. Um, cause I did estimates on how fast I think thought I could knock out each section. Um, and so I timed it so that my second time over, I was basically climbing up and over at the same time, any reasonable human being would choose to climb Rainier. Um, and so that meant climbing the first time in kind of sloppy, warmer conditions later in the day. Uh, mm -hmm. to make that timing work out. Um, so I made decisions like that, like being thinking about the mountain in a fresh way, in, in a way that most people wouldn't, right? Starting starting differently than most people would have. You know, everyone else was on their way down the mountain as I was climbing the mountain my first time. Um, so like doing something in a different way to get a different result because you're aiming at a different goal. Mm. Um so it ended up working out perfectly that I climbed over the mountain the second time in perfect conditions. Um, and then I'd never 
the other thing that was a big unknown besides like it being 34 miles, well, no 40 miles further than I'd ever raced um, was that I'd never gone two nights sleep deprived before mm. I'd only done, I'd, uh, you know, obviously all of us in college at some point pull an all nighter. We're not running when we do that. Um, and then in my hundred milers, I had one that was a 36 hour effort. So I had to do one night of very little sleep. Um, it was on a really difficult course. Um, and so it was like, okay, I have no clue what this second night of having moved nonstop and cut sleep the first night, like what's going to happen. And so that was this really full on experience where I, I think I'd managed cause I got a little ahead of pace on my first lap over and coming around. I think I got to sleep like maybe 75 minutes, um, mm. uh, the first night to line up my schedule for the second trip over the mountain. Um, and that was kind of the, the motivation to go hard is to like earn that little bit of sleep. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I roll in after, you know, moving all, all day and getting 75 minutes of sleep, hour and a half of sleep, uh, roll over the mountain the second time and start this second, uh, circumnavigation, the second half. And this is the, when the tie up happened where I got on this flat buttery section, one of the few flat buttery sections of trail on the wonderland. And I like start to try to open it up to be like, all right, cool. Let's cruise out some miles. And I couldn't go faster than like 14 minute mile pace. And I'm like, mm. oh no. Like if 14 minute mile pace is the fastest I'll go and I'm only going to get slower and more tied up from here. I think, and I'm like running the numbers in my head, right? I think this means I need to make the agreement with myself that no matter how hard it gets, I don't sleep to make sure I beat this record. Like, I just need to go another night, but this time, not an hour of sleep, like no sleep, <laughs> just go. Um, cause I can't make, I can't go fast enough to make up for it. Right. Um, and so just start marching into the night to the, like, man, and I could just feel it like one layer of like sleepiness and obviously I'm in pain and fatigued and all the other things. Um, and just layer after layer, it's piling on and, you know, it gets to the point that, you know, that sensation when you've been driving too long into the night and you get that first head jerk where you oh, yeah. clearly lost consciousness for a second and you're like, shit, like you I know? shouldn't be driving anymore. Like I, that was, that was the one second too far. Like that could have been bad. <laughs> um, yeah. It was like that, but I'm moving on my feet, trying to like walk uphill as fast as I can. And I'm like, Whoa, oh. And, you know, I'm just like barely catching myself side to side on like my trekking poles. Like just, I call it now, now I call it the speed wobbles when I start to bounce, right? I've done it enough that it has a name. Yeah. Um, but like, I'm like bouncing off my trekking poles as I'm falling to sleep. Um, and so finally, finally, I decide to yield to this. I'm like, all right, I'm, I read, you know, this report that talked about how Air Force pilots, they experimented with like 26 minute naps to and it demonstrated a, a huge improvements in cognitive performance and motor coordination. So I'm like, all right, I'm gonna lay down. I'm gonna set an alarm for 26 minutes. Uh, like no, I, you know, I have no sleep gear. Like I'm just gonna I just literally lay in the dirt, in the dark, in the cold, um, and set this alarm. Uh, but I also kind of knew it's like I'm guessing I'll be the survival mechanisms of the body being like, we're too cold, wake up. 
yeah. is going to kick in before that. And sure enough, like 20, 24 minutes in, I'm like, I snap awake from this like short session of passing out. And it, it's just like, my body's just like, you got to move. Like we're you know starting to shiver and everything. It's like, all right, get up and go. And that was my whole sleep for the night was just that 24 minutes on the ground with nothing and then proceeded to march through the rest of darkness and into the next day. And the whole time it's like every step is redefining how far I've gone and the amount of self-doubt and pain and burden that I've carried with that much left to go. And I think the lesson I derive from that is often we set these limits of how much we can give. Like, this is as loving as I can be. This is as much time as I can put into this project. This is as much as I can hurt. This is as far as I can run. You know, we set these limits in so many different categories in life. And we think we're basing them on very, like, real limitations, very real boundaries. And it's just like, man, for hours and hours, for half a day, I marched with all of those alarms just ringing full volume. Like you're done. You can't go another step. It's over. Um, Like there's no way you can beat this record. And I marched and shuffle jogged and powered through this, you know, my body tying up. And when you, when you ask your body to give more, it'll give more. When you, when you, when you dig the well a little deeper, you'll find there's more there. Mm. And I think that was one of the most powerful redefining um, FKTs for me. Cause I think it set the stage for the, the hundred tallest peaks in Washington, mm-hmm. right? That fundamentally I could have this trust in myself mentally and physically, emotionally, spiritually, if you will, that it's like, I know I can be out there and I can be having the worst possible experience and I can be happy and I can keep moving forward and I'll get myself out of there. Mm. And man, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how to package that up in a way that people can actually understand it. You kind of have to go out and do it. You have to go out and do the things that dig your well deeper. Um, it, you know, I think about climbing, I climbed Chimborazo in Ecuador and it was an experience like this where my water bottles froze. And so I ended up dehydrated. Um, it was my first time at that much elevation. And I started having some, you know, looking back now, some pretty bad uh, initial hape and haste symptoms, like splitting headache, a uh, little bit of like fluidy feeling in my lungs. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm having those symptoms and I, you know, normally don't get headaches. So it was like really bad, splitting bad. I wasn't used to that kind of pain. Um Obviously, with the inability to drink water, I was unable to get calories down like I should. So I'm calorie deprived. And I hadn't been able to sleep the two nights prior very well um, because I went up too fast. And so my heart was just like pounding at night and I couldn't sleep. So I'm like two nights sleep deprived on uh, not entirely, but like somewhat uh, climbing this mountain. And I remember just like going through all these things and it's like, okay. I've felt crampy before because I'm dehydrated. Okay. I've, you know, felt my heart pounding super hard from doing interval training. Like, even though I'm moving super slow, like I understand this feeling. Um, Okay. Like I've had headaches before they suck, but I understand that feeling. 
okay, like I've been uh, low on calories before and been bonking and felt a little sloppy in my mind, like slow moving, sluggish. Like, okay, cool. And I've been at elevation before and like felt the sort of slurring of your words that can happen where you almost feel a little drunk. It's like, all right, I felt that before. Okay. And there's just something that was bugging me. And I'm like, what the heck is this? Like, there's something going on. And I started to realize that in that moment, I was like, when I'd move my ice axe and pause and wait for the other climber and the guide to take their steps, um, I would nod off a little bit Mm. on the ice axe. And so- it was my first experience then with going, oh, this is sleepiness. I'm sleepy. And the the reason I say that in like an elated, hopeful tone is my mind, when I figured that out in the moment, as I'm in this deep, dark, I think I'm going to end up giving up. I think I'm going to end up turning around and not summit this mountain. Um, in that moment, I was like, that's the one thing that gets better. When the mm-hmm. sun comes up, it's going to trigger my circadian rhythm and this will go away almost completely. Mm. And so it was like this glimmer of like, no, it will get better. Something will get better. Like, sure, the cramping might get worse. The uh, dehydration might get like all the other things might continue to march toward worse. But this one thing will get better. And that gave me hope to push on to the summit. And sure enough, summited, um, ended up getting like sick on the summit and vomiting what little fluid was still in my body out and had a pretty heinous time getting back down, but got back down. Um, so this full on experience, but my takeaway from that is like, okay, the more granularity you can bring to your understanding of what's going on inside you, the more you can speak to what's going on and just, you know, like psychology, like various, uh, psychologists and, and counselors know if you can name what's going on inside you, whether it's an emotion or a, uh, a instinctual feeling, it has less power over you. Cause you now like in some way have consciously captured the thing that was happening semi-consciously or subconsciously. And so now you go, Oh, I understand this. This has rules and principles. It's not this uh, beast, this untamable beast. I can put reins on it and I can ride it. Um, and I think the more you can do, you can have these experiences where you can have a higher level of granularity to, a higher resolution, if you will, to, to look into what's going on inside you, your own emotions, your, your own feelings, all these different, you know, things I just named from sleepiness to fatigue, to, uh, nutrition, to hydration. Like the more of these experiences you have, the more you're able in the moment when you're out there and the shit hits the fan on the biggest, grandest adventure you've ever been on, the more you're able to trust yourself to go. Yeah. Okay. Been here, done this. Mm-hmm. Um, this, that, and this is all going sideways, but I know if I do this, this, and that it'll address all of them and they'll be better in a few hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's, that's a game changer when you're like trying to think about a project that's going to stretch 50 days. It's like, oh yeah, like I might make a mistake on this, that, or this, or my stomach will turn, or, you know, there'll be smoke in the air or whatever it is. And these things will start to feel bad, but it'll only last for three days. Like I've done that before. Um, which is a very different mental approach uh, than than a lot of people um, who don't have those experiences and haven't built those experiences into their life have. Mm-hmm. It's a different. It's a different common sense, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. I I love how you like. I I think it's amazing that you had that part where you mentioned it's hard to actually describe it. And I think everybody should go out and feel it for themselves. Right. Because like intellectually we get it, 
But I think it's like only until you've been in that shit storm or you've been in that like sleepy mode or like, you know, exactly how to name what's going on inside you. Right. Cause like we, we can't really name it if we don't really feel it. And sometimes like to get to that deep, well, the only way that we can ever really contextualize it for ourselves from like a deep level, right. We can understand, like, you know, we see someone hurting, we're like, oh, they're hurting. Like, oh man, like they're in pain. Like, you know, you watch the documentary of you on the, on the hundred FKTs, you're like, oh, he's struggling. But I think like for us and like what that means to us, it's 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 really the most powerful way to deal with that is if we put ourselves through it because then we can experience it in that way. So I love that you mentioned that and that whole story about like naming, hey, I'm feeling sleepy right now and everything like that, because I think we only get to learn those things. And you said it best is like if we're in it ourselves. And I think it's so awesome that you had that message in there. And man, like that is a crazy FKT story. Like both of those uh, that you mentioned, like climbing that mountain and doing the uh, the infinity loop in Rainier. I mean, that is just amazing. And uh, Jason, we're going to have to do a part two on this episode because I think like I, I just want to dive so much more into this. Um, but before I dive into the last question here that I want to ask here, um, what brands have helped you along the way? I know, you know, you're supported by some brands. You're wearing the Athletic Brew shirt, which is awesome. Huge Athletic Brewing fan, by the way. Uh, shout out to them. Uh, but what brands have been supportive to you on your journey that has helped you to accomplish all these amazing uh, FKTs and just throughout your entire career? Um. Well, uh, first off, my willingness to live in a van and uh, do that full time was my first sponsor. <laughs> nice. Um, that was how I paid off debt while still getting out and doing adventures. Uh, I was willing to embrace that discomfort. So that that was the the root of it, um, the beginning. So thanks to my cheap $600 Astro van that smoked that got me started on this life. Um, and then Athletic Brewing, obviously. Uh, they've been huge. Uh, I partnered with them when they were still pretty small. They weren't even shipping to all the states yet. Oh, let wow. alone let alone internationally like they are now um and yeah connected with them loved what they you know because i'm a health and pe teacher right i have to talk with kids about decisions around alcohol and how to do that in a healthful way and how to not like ruin you know ruin their mind and and build really bad coping mechanisms where all of their coping mechanisms circle back to a substance instead of to an effective strategy that aims at something healthy or builds relationship with humans around them. Um, and so a product that helps people make better decisions uh, was kind of an easy one to be like, I could be stoked on this. And then it actually tastes good. So it was like, okay, that's actually impressive. I even fooled my friends with the IPAs where they picked the wrong one as uh, non-alcoholic. Uh, so it's like, ha, you're not as good as you think you are. Um, <laughs> and then here's the the one that really drove it home for me is I have some branding. If people watch the Journey to 100 film, um, I have some branding on the side of my van because the previous van blew up. I had a, a, a kind of decked out, you know, those four wheel drive ambulances that look oh, really yeah. cool. I had one of those, but it blew up catastrophically. Like the engine like blew a cylinder and it was it was like the amount it was going to I was going to have to pay to rebuild that. It was like, well, I might as well get something that has standing height. Cause it was a shorter one. It wasn't yeah. full standing height inside. And that was driving me crazy. Um, so it's like, well, I might as well just pay that same amount of money and jump into a different van that's running that has standing height. And I let athletic know that's like, all right, I'm going to try to figure this out. Uh, I know we're almost to the Bulgers, uh, but I'm going to, I'm going to solve this. I'm going to make it happen. Uh, we're still on. Cause we'd already talked about making the film. Um, and the CEO fires back, sell the old one for what you can get out of it. 
will pay the difference to get you into something new. Whoa. And, you know, obviously I bought something used, not new, new, but like a, a sprinter van. Like it was a pretty big chunk of change. They, they tossed my way just out of the blue spur of the moment to help me out. Um, and I was like, okay, like if they're willing to do that for their people, like that's pretty sweet. But the, again, to get back to the real thing that drove it home, people would come up at every trailhead and still do. Cause I still have the same van, um, and knock on my window. Hey, I just want to let you know your product helped me turn my life around. Hey, I just want to let you know my, my brother, uh, got off of a, a, an addiction to alcohol, uh, using your product. Hey, I want you to know, like just all the time, these stories of like it being a tool and people transforming their lives for the better. It's like, how can I not be stoked to be a part of that? So yeah, Mm -hmm. a huge, a huge shout out to them. Um, also along with them, uh, Koros has been a product. I've, I love their, I love that they came in. Yeah. There uh, you go. And just rocked, rocked the world with their battery life. And, you know, with these FKT projects, like that's so essential. You need a a quality track, but you need to be able to trust that you're out there for five days. You don't have to haul like three extra batteries to recharge things. It's like, I know that I can do a 140 hour push and not recharge my watch. I did the whole Norman's 13, you know, we'll have to talk next time about how I broke two records in one push. Um, I did the Norman's 13 in California and didn't have to worry about charging my watch because it's like, oh, it's only a three-day record. I can run the watch nonstop for all three of those days, even if I don't ha- I don't get to stop and sleep at night. And that might be foreshadowing. Um, <laughs> like the watch will run and I don't have to recharge it. So yeah, uh, it, I love I love what they've done there, um, moving moving the products forward um, and like pushing pushing that that world. Um, Gnarly's been really great. Mm. I used Fuel Two O to. Um, lighten my pack and reduce volume, um, during the Bulgers push. So I could just carry some extra powder with me and then stop off, um, at whatever Creek, um, whatever, uh, cascade, right. They're called the cascades for a reason, um, and refill water and then just mix some gnarly into it and boom, I'm good to go for the next you know 20 miles. Um, so that's been a big part. And then peak refuel. They're another one that's been supportive. Um, and they just do dehydrated meals. But a lot of us think like, ooh, yuck, nasty dehydrated meal. They're chicken Alfredo to just pull one out of the blue. I've literally never made myself a chicken Alfredo that's as good as the chicken Alfredo. They can do dehydrated and it makes me angry to this day. <laughs> um, and again, that's me admitting I'm not a very good cook, but that tells you also that their products are pretty darn good. Um, so yeah, those would be the four I would, I would mention, um, straight out, uh, path projects is another one. And recently I've started running in Norda, Norda run shoes. Oh, nice. And I use that for the Norman's record. I didn't, I didn't, I hadn't discovered them yet for the Bulger's push, but for the Norman's it's like a high cushion shoe, but with a full rubber bottom. So I could trust it scrambling on the fifth class rock and they do a Dyneema upper that can actually handle the off trail abuse of being kicked through rocks and scree all day. And yeah, they they've been great. So yeah, those would be the main brands I would shout out right now. That's um, awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. And I love uh, that you mentioned like the impact of athletic brewing, just because for me too, like as someone who's, you know, 
sober athlete, been sober for a while, struggled with alcohol and drugs in the past. I mean, it's helped my life completely too. So I'm glad that you had that in there. And for anyone who's looking to check out those brands, check out the links in the bio. I'll put them all in there. And uh, I mean, if they're supporting a guy who can do a hundred plus FKTs, I'm sure they're going to be successful on your journey as well. And uh, Jason, for my last question here, and I'm sure, you know, we'll be asking this question again, because I definitely want to get you on for a second time. But the question that I ask all my guests on the show we kind of talked about this a little bit in the first, you know, uh, the the early part of the podcast. But for our listeners listening to the podcast today, what would you suggest to them to become better endurance athletes every single day? Oh, better every single day. Um, I mean, that that kind of sums it up. Uh, I've been going through a, a low recently, um, you know, which we all do. And mm-hmm. I think one of the things we struggle with, like, obviously it's easy to focus on the the glorious days where we show up at 110%. We're feeling great. We break the record. We do the thing, right? Like it's easy to sit in the, like, right. I could sit here and be like, yeah, the hundred FKTs. Yeah. But we all face lows and what sets us up for those glorious moments in the mountains, even if it's just soaking in a sunset or a sunrise on a, on a mountaintop is how we show up for ourselves on the days where it sucks. Mm. And I I came into the month of October and November, just feeling off, feeling weird. I think I'm suffering from some long COVID symptoms. Uh, I got hit by a deer on my bicycle in, in in May as well, um, which adds some intrigue to that Norman's 13 push, which we'll talk about next time. Um, and ended up in the ER, lost a lot of skin. Luckily didn't break any bones this time. Um, and so I had COVID and gave myself a concussion at the same time. And I'm like trying to sort out, like, is this long concussion symptoms with like my mood and emotions? Is this long COVID? Like, I'm just not feeling right. But in the midst of that, I launched into this no days off November. Mm. It's not like a toxic, like you have to go hard every day, like lift those weights, run hard every day. It's like, no, show up for yourself every day, even if that's a stretching routine, even if that's like doing breathing exercises, even if it's it's like show up for yourself every day of November, regardless of how you feel. May, and maybe it's different on different days, but you but show up every day for 30 days because that's the most important practice is, is to show up and actually, because I think when we hit our hard days, at least I know what I suffer with, is sometimes it's all or nothing mentality. It's mm-hmm. like either I'm going to do the workout on my workout list. I'm going to, I'm going to do the things I need to get done. I'm going to work my job hours. Like I'm going to do it all, or I'm going to take the day off and binge Netflix and not eat right and not do anything for self-care. Like it's really easy to flip that switch all the way to zero. Mm. And it's like, no, still show up, still do what you can. Um, and that's been, that's been the mode I've been in. Um, and, and I think that that would be the perspective shift. I would leave for the listeners here is be willing to show up even on those bad days. And instead of thinking, oh man, I can't do this, this, and this because I feel this think I can do this and I can still do this. Mm, so powerful, man. So, so powerful. And I love that you touch on the all or nothing thing. Cause I think as endurance athletes, we kind of like tend to gravitate towards that. Right. Cause as you know, if you're an endurance athlete, we're likely going extreme, but even to me in some regards, like, yeah, like I remember like the day after my hundred miler, like all I did was I just did 
I did jack shit. Like I just sat there. I did, you know what I mean? Like I just ate, ate bad and like whatever. And like, you know, sure. It's like, yeah, you treat yourself, but like, it's interesting. Cause it's like, wow. Like I just gave it all out. And then like, you look at the next day, it's like, look at this. It's like the complete opposite. And it gets you thinking about that. And, you know, and it's not even just after like doing something great, like in a hundred miler or something. I mean, sometimes when we have the low days, it's easy to just say, ah, fuck it. I'm feeling bad. So like, let's just, let's just let it like spiral. And I think endurance athletes can be more prone to that, given that we're so on the extremes at times in there. So I, I appreciate you saying that. Such a great episode, man. And I know part two is going to be even more amazing. And uh, Jason, thanks so much for making this happen, man. I appreciate you a ton. Joe, it's been an absolute pleasure. Sorry to push you a little over your time limit. Um, you're, you're good. I got a, I, I had a text come. I had a text come through the uh, computer saying that the person I'm meeting is going to be a few minutes late. So uh, well, we got some extra time. So We'll, we'll thank him. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much for having me on. Let's uh, let's absolutely do this again and talk about uh, Normans and the California 14ers. Dude, I would love that, man. We'll make it happen. And uh, I know our listeners are going to be waiting on edge for that one to drop just <laughs> as much as I am, man. And uh, dude, you're, you're an amazing soul. And I appreciate you, Tom, brother. Thank you. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Everyday Ultra Podcast. Appreciate you listening in. And if you have any topics or guests or suggestions for the show, I would love to hear that because I want to make sure this show is so valuable to you that I'm able to provide all the things that you're looking for to become a better endurance athlete every day. So if you have those things, feel free to send them over to me on Instagram at Joe Corsione. That is my handle, J-O-E-C-O-R-C-I-O-N-E. And I'd be more than happy to fit it into the show, reach out to the guests that you're looking for, and ultimately give the value that you're looking for. Um, If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it. Uh, Would love to get more ultra runners and uh, people in the ultra endurance community listening to this podcast, because the more this podcast grows, the better we're able to serve you as well. And so thank you so, so much again for listening in. I tell you, I do not take it lightly. And remember, my friends, become a better endurance athlete every single day. Take care.